Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the TV show Loki. We're talking about the ethics of time travel. We're talking about does anybody have any agency? We're talking about how did the mouse do with queer representation? And we're doing all that with Paul Hoppy and Fox K. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. So glad to be talking here about Loki with two great guests. First, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing tonight? Uh, yeah, I'm good. A little bit sweaty because I got my fan turned off, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, just so you all know uh, out there in podcast land, those of us who are in hot hot weather climbs generally have to turn off fans and things like that because they're going to make too much background noise. So we are suffering and sweating to bring you this podcast art. So please be appreciative <laughs> uh, or just think that we should get better central air. But that's a whole other story entirely. Joining me also is Fox K., uh, Fox has been a guest of mine on a couple of different podcast episodes. Fox and I also did a episode on the, eth- not the ethics of Loki necessarily, but a lot of questions raised by Loki on a different podcast. Um, Fox and I went pretty deep that into some- podcast episode isn't going to air because it tanked. So I don't know that you want to reference that. Well, no, that's my whole point. Is that like, I'm, I was going to make a joke about- I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> was that, that's a variant? It's a variant. The, it is a variant. The person lost <laughs> the recording. Exactly, exactly. Well, I was okay. going to say like, Fox and I had some strong opinions and then the uh, recording got lost. So yeah. either it way- was, it, was, it was a solid hour and a half of us telling the host that he was wrong. So, <laughs> and then it magically disappeared. I was like, all right, Steve, I see you. So- I knew I wanted to get Fox back, especially given some of our uh, feelings about the the episodes that happened. So there's a lot of great questions. Uh, but yeah, so Fox, how are you doing today? I am doing all right. Sweating in a solid 79 degrees, but it's worth it. So I'm really glad to have both of you on here. I think it's going to be a great conversation. I know we all have a lot of strong feelings about this show. And I want to start by kind of prefacing this, which is, as we always try to do here, our goal here is to not give a review of the show necessarily. Um, I'm part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network where the MCU podcast, they do great. Like, they've done episode-by-episode reviews. Uh, They've been very positive about the show, but they definitely had some complaints. Definitely check out their podcast. There's a great way. They do a really great kind of review of the show. Here, we're basically, what we're trying to do is say, like, this show, like a lot of other things we love, uh, or a lot of the shows in the universes we love, raise some great questions. And both in terms of the story itself and in terms of the more meta questions about how they told the story and how it was created. And I really want us to kind of focus on those today because I do have the impression that all three of us have some degree of strong feelings about the show itself uh, that we'll get into to some extent. But I want to, and in some ways I'm a little sad that Ashley Coffin couldn't be with us. I know Ashley was a huge fan of this show uh, and I would have liked to have more of that perspective as well. But Ashley did write in some great comments that we'll be reading on the air here. But I was just kind of want to make clear, like whether you love the show or didn't love the show, we're not here to tell you, like, if you think if you should think the show is good or bad. We're just here to talk about, like, some of the issues and questions it raises. So, with that being said, let me kind of ask you both. What are your kind of general thoughts about the show now that we've seen all six episodes? So, I'll uh, kick it off by saying I didn't, I didn't hate it. <laughs> um, good positive start. <laughs> right? I, I do have to commend Disney for doing what Disney does best, which is setting a very specific um giving us a very specific setting and then we're at least in the in especially we saw in the first four episodes working really well within that very specific setting and uh i think the design work on the show is beautiful i do think like genuinely i think we got a gorgeous show 
the substance petered off drastically, I think, at the end. But I think, I think, unfortunately, we got... I, I think the the show ended up falling to Saga Syndrome, and that's that is what it is. It's bound to happen with the MCU. Um, <laughs> and I think I honestly don't. I'm not surprised, especially in the direction that the MCU is going. So it, it's definitely indicative of a larger problem. But at the same time, I do think we got an interesting show in terms of we got a character back that they had told us was gone forever that a lot of people loved that we got some very interesting development um some of it better than other parts <laughs> but we did get some interesting development they found and they did find a if a semi a narratively semi sound way to make that happen mm-hmm. so i they certainly did that. Yeah. I applaud you, Fox. You uh, rolled very high on your diplomacy check. So well done. Uh, Paul, what about I'm trying to keep people on the show for the rest of it. Cause keep looking, like, we, they, have to, they have to get to the rest of it to hear my complaints. I'd say I, I felt similarly and, and um, agree with a lot of the points that, that you made, Fox. Um, I, I do think it was a beautiful looking show. I think it was a beautiful sounding show. I think the music was really good. Um, it like it kept me invested in places where like I enjoyed a fair amount of the series minute to minute, but didn't enjoy almost any of the plot. Yeah, like what I just plot? didn't. Right? <laughs> yeah, like I just didn't care what was happening, and there there were specific things that annoyed me. Uh, but overall, it was just, I mean, I said this after the first episode, I felt kind of like I was waiting at the DMV with friends whose company I enjoyed, right. where it was like the conversations were really well done and were often compelling, but then they would go and do something and I would be like, just stop doing things and just go sit and chat <laughs> in the room again, because yeah. like none of what you're doing makes any sense or feels like it matters to me. Yeah, I, I think it's a very good way to put it. Aside from the genocide and all. Yeah. After episode five, I'd been in this odd situation where I realized I was trying to decide if I wanted to podcast about this show, because if I wasn't planning to podcast it, I honestly think I wouldn't have watched the last episode because not out of sort of a hate watch, like I don't want to see this, although I did turn off the sixth episode about halfway through and it took me like an hour to make myself go back to watch it. We'll talk about why. (laughs) Um, But it was after the fifth episode, I was like, "Eh, this is fine. It's not the show that they told us it was going to be. It's not, it's doing all the things I was afraid it would do. But like, you know, Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson have great chemistry on screen. I like watching them talk to each other. I love the dialogue. I love the, the, the characters are all interesting. The, the story ideas are interesting and very poorly executed. But I realized that they'd gotten to the point where, this will kind of get us into one of our first ethical questions, but just on the kind of general sense of the show, I didn't, because of all they had done to say that everything can be undone and time has no meaning and it's all being controlled and nobody has any agency, I I just didn't care. There was nothing about the story that made me think, there was nothing about the show that made me want, like, wonder what's going to happen in episode six because it all just felt so utterly meaningless. Um, And again, I want to kind of honor, like, we have a particular perspective from the three of us. We hoped, we were trying to get someone who has a very different perspective on the show. Uh, on but didn't work out schedule wise and i know that a lot of folks really love the show and i think that's awesome um for those of you who got what you wanted out of the show that's great and uh 
I know Ashley wrote in some good things about why she loved the show that Paula wants you to read in a second, but I'm going to want to just honor that, you know, that like, I think one of my favorite things that Disney has done is the fact that they have taken three very different approaches to television shows in terms of WandaVision, Falcon, and now Loki. I think they very intentionally said, we don't want every person to love all three of these. They were okay with the idea that some people are going to really love one and maybe be okay with the other and maybe not like the third. And to me, that that at least is a positive direction for this kind of stuff because it's much less about... The movies often feel like, let's get down to the lowest common denominator. Let's make sure we keep everybody happy. I like creatively if they're starting to say, like, we're just going to make some stories that some people are going to like and some people aren't. And this wasn't the story for me, but I'm not mad they made it given that. I'm mad about some parts, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I feel like inclusivity doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to like a thing. Yeah. You know, I think often it can be having variety and having ideally something for everyone, right? But different things that are going to appeal to different people. Um, I would like to read uh, a couple of things that Ashley wrote because they are very positive, right? So, like, maybe let's... Let's front load some of the positivity uh, before <laughs> before we dig in on some things. That hey, maybe... listen, Fox said they didn't hate it. That's, That's very true. positive. That's true. Didn't hate. <laughs> didn't hate. <laughs> um, so uh, Ashley wrote this this John about this John. Uh, that's that's uh, some some Philly talk, but. I, I requested that we include that word in, in anything that was sent here to read on air. Anyway, so here's what she said. Uh, okay, I'm at work, so there's probably a lot I'm going to miss, but I really loved this, John. I know people didn't like the pacing as much, but I felt like the faster we were moving, the less I had time to think if anything makes sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can totally relate to that for sure. Yeah. Um, she also said, uh, I loved the look and feel of the show. The music was unbelievable. Uh, Natalie Holt. Yes, girl. Um, and, and I mean, I, I really do think that the, the music really, like, it, it held my attention in a way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she included elements of, like, theremin to, like, traditional Norwegian stuff. Um, and uh, I, I think maybe I'll read this time travel bit, too. And then, sure. then we'll, I think it kind of sets up where you want to go. Um, uh, let's see. I think after seeing the last episode, all the fast-paced stuff earlier was supposed to feel just like that. Then we get to Kang, they slow the pace down in favor of a thrilling conversation staging compared to the pacey uh, action-packed events of episodes 4 and 5. The finale for me really brought home themes of trust and free will. I loved the last few minutes being filled with philosophy and palpable tension, and the fact that those few minutes of the show will be what has major consequences for the future moving forward. Yeah. See, that's interesting that she brings that up. Um, just for her to name the last few minutes specifically, because I I have so much conflict about what happened in the last episode, because I mm-hmm. felt genuinely after watching it, I commented on my partner and I said, I felt like I didn't just watch an hour of content. I feel like I watched a 20 minute conversation and then I guess some other stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> And so it was one of those things that the that the conversation with Kang was absolutely like valuable, but for her to call, I I wish she was here for me to ask her. But I feel like it's interesting because her um, her commentary on the last couple minutes, which is the the secondary Mobius conversation, and I felt that that had no value 
because like obviously we saw we saw Loki like looking at the Kang statue and being like ah this is important but really when seeing that there's another Mobius variant in the TVA felt so well yeah of course to me that I didn't get anything out of it so I'd be in I'd, I gen, like I that's a, that's honestly one of the first things that has has made me think about how much of a different experience some people have had yeah watching that show than I did yeah I think it's fair and I uh, I, I think I think we'll likely get some feedback from Ashley on this so hopefully we can bring that back into a feedback episode or something like call that. me back Ashley I, my number is <laughs> <laughs> I I do think that maybe she was talking about the last few minutes talking to Kang okay as opposed to like the kind of closing scene okay um i'm not certain but yeah i, I do think that feeling actually call like, me back my number is <laughs> <laughs> that feeling of like having a very different experience of the show because watching particularly being part of you know the the stranded panda group on facebook and seeing people be like oh my goodness you know kang right. and like having this like huge amount of excitement going towards you know the new doctor strange and the new ant-man and the spider-man and i'm sort of like I maybe want to watch like Shang-Chi and then like not really so much with the MCU, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, uh, I guess, depending on how interested you are in some of that, it's, it's going to land very differently. I think that's a good point. This kind of lets, lets us get into kind of the first big ethical question we wanted to talk about, which is all the questions around time travel and like what that sets up for agency and consequences and things like that. And I'll start actually with with one more moment that's kind of what you're talking about, Paul, of, of having a different experience of things. I, I've always said, I, granted, I'm, I was the person who went into this saying I generally don't like time travel because often for me the problem with time travel is that it can cause one of two problems. Either one, you set up the idea that nothing really has any consequences because you can always just kind of go back in time and fix it. Or that nobody really has any agency because if there is just kind of this one set timeline – you know, what, who's in control and what decides that. It, it, it explodes in all these logical loopholes and, and all sorts of things like that. For me, though, there was a particular moment in the show that really, for me, was this was the moment where I really kind of got off the bus, both in terms of enjoying the show, but also in terms of feeling like I don't think I'm watching the same show that other people are, and it confuses me. Um, and it was the end of episode four. By the way, massive spoilers for Loki here. I think it's already been clear, but just in case you don't know. Because um, I was actually watching it live with a bunch of my friends on, on the Strand of Panda network. And, you know, two-thirds of the way through that episode, Mobius is pruned. And I burst out laughing. <laughs> because it was so obviously clear to me that, of course, he's not actually pruned. That everything we've learned is that none of this has any consequences. Everything can be undone. Time, wibbly-wobbly. No one cares in the writing staff about consequences. And they're not going to get rid of Owen Wilson halfway through their own show. And then later on, Loki gets pruned. And once again, I don't think you're taking the title character out of your show two-thirds of the way into your show. If you are, it would be brilliant, and I kind of hoped they would. They didn't. I mean, um, they have other Lokis. They have Lokis yeah. to spare, so they could have gone that way. Hey, look, Loki is Sylvie's dead name, okay? So let's not use that name for Sylvie. Um... Other thoughts on is, that, to be sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yes. We do have, we got alligators and all the shorts of Lokis as well, yes. Uh, totally fair, true. I'm all in on classic Loki. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Classic Loki was the real champion. Also, let's go back to the music for a moment. The moment well, when he raised I... Asgard, that music <laughs> deserves just its own moment. Yes, yes, that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so just to finish my point, though, 
And then I hopped on a video chat with a bunch of these, with a bunch of awesome people. And again, I'm totally respecting their opinions. This is just how I saw it. I was so ready for all of us just to be laughing about how stupid and ridiculous that was. And watching people whose opinions like I really trust and respect being so shook, it just utterly baffled me because I was like, how, how could there be any doubt that Mobius is not okay? How, because it, it felt to me like the show had done so much to, to tell us that nothing has any consequences, you know, and that everything can be undone and it's just going to be whatever the whim of the writer or in theory Kang or whatever it was. Um, so that's a little bit my rant about the quality of the show, but, but someone, I think it kind of leads into this question of like, how did you feel they did with this idea of like using time travel to create consequences or to create drama or just, just to create like the, the kind of questions that time travel can raise? Um, I think the interesting thing that we got, I have my complaints about Sylvie and Loki's relationship, but the mm-hmm. one thing that I do like that it put to the forefront was the focus on basically even through time travel you experience connection Mm -hmm. and that there that there are still there are still consequences for the action that the actions that you make that you are still their time travel for the most part um independent variants aside but when you travel one of the things that we saw is when they did the time twister callers that you went back in time physically but you maintained your memories right and i think that was kind of a larger issue so to speak is that was something about uh, trying to think of a good way to phrase it but like the steadfastness of character and Mm -hmm. that's you know something that came up even in the last episode was people who change versus people who don't Right. And so I think that that was an interesting thing to take away the consequences of just the outside world, but it, it doesn't mean that the, the things that you did aren't indicative of your character. Um, even, I mean, and we see that even with the, the conversation between Judge Renslayer and Mobius, where it's like, oh, you would prune your best friend, you know, and clearly he's not dead. He's fine. He, he made it out. <laughs> but at the same time, there's still the consequences of, but you would do that to me. Right. So I think I think that that kind of it may the the fact that time and, you know, just the permanency of your actions wasn't the consequence mm-hmm. made made me think more about like human motive. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really interesting point. And um, I also kind of want to push back on the nothing having consequence. I think. Like, when we see characters in shows, often I I feel sort of like there's, like, a binary outcome. Like, either something kills someone or it doesn't. And, like, if it kills someone and then they come back, like, that there was no consequence. But, like, you know, suffering is still suffering, you know? Like, and, and when we have these variants, it's like, you know, the one Loki was killed in, in Ragnarok, right? Not in Ragnarok, but, you know, the the... the the beginning of Infinity War that that crapped on Ragnarok, but uh, like that suffering still happened in that timeline, and um, I mean I think we'll get to that later, right? When we talk about um, Kang and the TVA and everything, but I, I know what you mean in terms of like like there's not these consequences for the audience right. in a way because it and, and to me that's kind of like this felt like the most comic book 
comic book story I've seen right. on the screen, right? Where it's just like comics are gonna comics, and like comics <laughs> are always bringing back heroes, villains, whatever. How long did Superman stay dead? You know, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden there's like four different Supermans or whatever. It's right. like and they're like, oh, now we'll put them in a black suit. Doesn't it look cool? We'll sell more toys. You know, and and I I feel you on that. I I personally like don't really care about that in and of itself i know we've talked a lot about like character deaths in stories and stuff you know um but i did feel kind of like i didn't feel invested in some of the outcomes even if there were consequences for the characters like episode three felt like it was this whole you know thing that was completely irrelevant to any of the like plot Mm -hmm. but at the same time it was super important in terms of the development of Loki and Sylvie as characters. Right. So there was consequence, even though there's not like big plot consequence until the end when that's actually like kind of really plays into the last episode pretty hard. I do agree that personally for me, it feels like there's not consequence in terms of like where the story or the multiverse or any of this is going. So I think like in terms of storytelling, I very much agree in terms of the experience of the characters, I guess is, is just where that makes um, sense. Just to kind of separate. And I I don't think we're that far apart on that. Right. Cause like when we get to them pruning people, like, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, Mobius certainly had a very negative experience being pruned. And I think Fox, you made a great point there about how the, 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 the break of trust between Mobius and Renslayer, that that is a consequence that's definitely going to happen. I totally agree with you there in that regard. Absolutely. I think it's I think it like it was interesting to observe the characters, you know, in that situation where they had the opportunity to relive moments, but at the same time it definitely it did take away. I had kind of the same experience that you did when Mobius got pruned and I was like, "Oh, well that's not eh I didn't, yeah. like, I didn't get the, cl- like, they were very clear in the emotional impact that they were going for with that. That was their big shocker. And we all just kind of sat on the couch and went, eh. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think that they definitely, like, you know, by focusing so much on, you know, we can take it all back, that we all kind of went, well, yeah, you can take that back. It's okay, bud. I did actually have somewhat of a reaction to that, partially because it was the third consecutive Disney Plus series where some authority figure who's basically a cop murders a person or tries to like shoot children or you know like I was kind of like I I don't really like seeing this every series you know if you want to deal with an issue like that sometimes okay but like every single time it just feels like a bit much yeah I think that's a fair point too well and so what about on the other side of the, the time travel questions in terms of agency um once we know, and first of all, it was the TVA saying like that they decide everything. And then by the end, we get Kang saying, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. He's not Kang. He's the one who remains uh, the, the, the Schrodinger's Kang. I'm going to call him. Um, <laughs> you know, once he clearly is saying that like he has he's lived. You all better copyright that because I'm going to pop that into every MCU conversation from now on. I'm just Kang. sliding that one in there. Schrodinger's Get the Kang. t-shirts ready. TM, there we go. There we go. I want a what? picture of that happy... Lo- I want the, like, the Loki poster. They just released it, and it's got him on it. I want that in a box, and it just says Schrodinger's Kang on the back. Someone make me the t-shirt. There we go. There we go. I'm all for this. I'll get. I'll, let me get some rights. We'll use all the money for... Uh, it's to buy time. you some new uh, recording equipment as oh, well. Oh, God, please. But anyway, so 
once we kind of know, and now that Kang says that, like, you know, he knows what everyone's going to do, and that every, every, all these decisions are set because time has happened so many times before, or, or however the metaphysics of it work, what's your take on kind of the, what does that say about the agency of these characters and, and the stories that we're going to, that we have watched or may watch in the future? They have none. <laughs> I, like, sort of, but at the same time, those people mm-hmm. actually made those decisions. Just mm-hmm. all of the, you know, other Schrodinger versions of them that didn't make those decisions got pruned. Right. You know, which is, <clears throat> I mean, if you actually, like, study concepts of the multiverse, like, the the number of branches, like, you wouldn't have an agency with, like, 20 people in it, like, erasing timelines, right? Like, the number of times timelines would split, um, I, it, it's, like, almost imponderable. But, so so the whole premise, like, if you actually try and science it, is not you know it's 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 got some holes <laughs> yeah but i it, it is a weird question it's like do these people have agency who are do because they are making those choices right it's just there's other versions of them that didn't make those choices and branch the timeline and then they get erased right i'm also i mean we've had schrodinger's kang tell us (laughs) that other variants of him are coming and obviously that was implied to be like "Ooh, i have an army but at the same time i'm interested to see if we see that at all narratively going forward of some sort of like almost for a shock i could see it being a shock value of so and so did this thing oh my goodness no it wasn't them it was their evil variant right Mm mm-hmm and I could see that being good once, and then I would get very tired of it. And that's yeah. the kind of part where, again, like, time travel and, you know, evil clones and all of those concepts have been, you know, a, absolutely a pervasive theme through comic book history. But at the same time, it gets old, and it gets old fast. Mm-hmm. And, I like, I, I referenced it earlier when, um, at the end of the episode they when they're basically showing us that there's another uh b15 100 b15 and another mobius and i was like "Uh uh-huh great (laughs) i don't care because of course there is there's a thousand variants of everybody we all make you know the wrong sacred timeline decision right yeah and i get that and i think I think for me, A, I I would hate it if they brought up this whole, like, you know, all bad things are just because of an evil variant. You know, I think that that takes all the interesting thing about agency. And, Paul, I hear what you're saying, that the character did make the choice. My, I think my issue with it is, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, although I don't think they went very deep on the metaphysics of it, is once you get into this idea that, like, one person has chosen that these decisions are the right ones and every other decision is the wrong one. And so we're only going to keep the future in which this person does the wrong one, right one. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we all think Steve Rogers is a hero because from the very beginning, he jumped on that grenade in basic training. Does every variant of Steve do that? Or mm-hmm. is it like maybe only 5% of them do that, but all the others got pruned and so that's the only one that remains? Or maybe with Steve Rogers, it is 99.999% of him make that decision. But, you know, with Loki um, at other points in the timeline, you know, the few times we've seen him do the right thing. Like, maybe there's a whole, whole, whole bunch of Lokis that do decide to work with Thanos and throw Thor and the Asgardians under the bus. 
But they all again. got pruned. Say again? Again, right? Because he did work yeah. with Thanos, right? Yes, again, 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 for sure. <laughs> I guess to me that's the thing. And like I it's not that it's gonna ruin all these other movies for me. I'm I'm very happy to just ignore this because I think the story's just dumb. I don't think time like time tra- time travel stories just don't make any sense to me. But it it just feels like once you once you open that up, it, it feels like it's just so fundamental. In some ways, this feels kind of like the blip. Like Marvel's doing the blip all over again, where they introduce this thing that's going to fundamentally change everything in our society and open up so many questions. And they never really dove deep into it. They sort of did with Falcon. They sort of did with Spider-Man. I don't really think they addressed like just how fundamentally the, the society would change and all the questions that it would raise. It, to me, it, that kind of feels similar here. Like, multiverse sounds cool. Time travel sounds cool. But once we know that this Kang, per- that he who remains, or whoever, or TVA, or whoever it is, has basically been deciding, like, okay, this is the right version of Loki. This is the right version of Captain Marvel, whatever it is. And every other ones we got rid of, it, it, it to me, it just it it fundamentally changes how I view the the decisions that everybody's making. I absolutely agree. I think that I think that they tried to kind of pose the question of true character. Mm-hmm. But they did it not only so late in the show, but so kind of like that. That I think is the one real thing that they hit on both consistently and clumsily when right. they got down to the heart of it, where it was like, well, this is your true character. You can't trust and I can't be trusted, I believe is the line. Um, but at the same, just as much as that is something that, you know, was like, well, we're the same. We're the same character. So this is our character trait. It, it is very much like this other person has effectively designed you. And of course, it's a little meta because comic books. But to say you are this character that we are supposed to feel for, that you are making, having this growth and making these decisions, that we care that Loki has gone through this thing where he does potentially trust another human being. But, oh, I allowed that to happen because that was the right decision. It takes away the agency and the impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I don't have too much to add. Uh, just, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, so f- it, oh, okay. I'll, right. Uh, sorry. Paul doesn't have too much to add. Take a drink every time he says that and then doesn't say anything more. It's, You'll stay sober you for the rest of the night. Exactly. I mean, all, all I would say is that uh, now I've completely forgotten what I was going to say that I wasn't going to say in the first place. So you could just cut this part. One drink. But, One drink. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to say something anyway. But <laughs> uh, I guess I've totally forgotten it again. I don't know. Whatever. Um, what were you talking about? <laughs> all right. We're going to yeah, stick. The, the idea that, uh, well, this is where you just segue into the next thing, right? About like yeah. what is a variant, what makes someone a variant. Great segue there. So for how, for both of you, how do you feel about this topic of variants? And now that we know that, you know, each person can have like all these other versions of them out there that got pruned, but that they do exist to some extent or another. What's your kind of take on that approach to a character? Okay, I um, I'm gonna swing this around. I promise. But does everyone here remember when they first learned about the butterfly effect? Yes. I don't remember the moment. You but but, but you remember I'm... approximately. It was either it was either the one dinosaur short story in school or it was something to that effect. Uh 
what this the entire thing <laughs> there's a there's a, there's a short story right? they go back in time that somebody steps on a they say don't step off the path you step on a butterfly you come back and no one can speak properly like no one speaks english it's also weird language because of the butterfly effect that's mm. the story um it is very simple and that's why it's called the butterfly effect mm-hmm. but um for me this reminded me of when everyone first learns about butterfly effect and they sit there thinking about how much, oh my goodness, every little thing that I do in the entire world, every breath I take, every move I make, I'll be watching you. And <laughs> and it's going to affect the, li- the lives of my future children in such a monumental way. And then you learn about multiverse theory and you say every single decision you make, you could have made another decision and it could have been this big thing. And... Marvel took that and they boiled it down to as simple as they could possibly get it. And they said, sometimes people make different decisions. And it's one of those things that like the multiverse theory is so complex. And so, and certainly they couldn't spend the entire time talking about it, but they figured that everybody had a good enough general idea to, to then go forward. And what I think the interesting thing that they did is that they created with these nexus events they created not they said that not your variance isn't any decision you make it's your big decisions Mm. and i think that that's very interesting of what makes a big decision because i think that some of like the i think about like my my personal journey in my life some of my big decisions haven't seemed that big until right. you look back and you go, wow, if that had never happened, then I would have never done this. I think that it's it's very it would be very scary to have someone all, like to do something you think is, you know, like, OK, I'm going to go to the beach. And then somebody a, a space cop comes out and arrests you. So I think I think that what constitutes a big decision is a very interesting thing. I do. If I could come from Marvel's soul about anything, the fact that we never got Sylvie's Nexus event, I fundamentally crave that as knowledge. I want to know what her Nexus event is because that's her defining moment, right? Like, that's her thing that kicked... That's her villain origin story. Right. And we don't know because they didn't care enough to tell us. Yeah. But I... And I think that was very interesting... um, but I do, I do think that we we got variants as sort of a comedic thing with Kid Loki. Yeah. But I also think that we got a very like the classic Lokis. You know, I missed my brother. That was like that was such a, a nod to a core part of the character mm-hmm. that I thought that was very emotionally valuable. So I think that I think that it I th- and I think that posed an interesting thing as well. So when you have this big decision that you would think is very much like core to the character, but it's wrong. So what makes, you know, then it goes back to the age. It goes right back to the agency thing. What makes it the right decision? If the core of your character is wrong. Right. Yeah. I think it is such an interesting question, especially because, when you're talking, I kept thinking of the movie Sliding Doors, which isn't one of my favorite movies by any means, but poses some interesting questions about like, you know, sometimes it might be your big decision. Like, do I go to grad school? Do I take a job? Do I move to this city or this city? Do I accept this proposal? But sometimes it can be just like, do you get on the bus, you know, a stop late or not? Because you meet someone on the bus who will change your life forever, whatever it is. And Sliding Doors is an interesting exploration of that. 
And I, I think you're right. I think there's a real potential for the show. And it did somewhat to explore that question of like, what makes someone fundamentally who they are? Um, you know, you'll often see this meme go around that talks about like, if, if you could go back and do one thing just to fundamentally change history, what would you do? And that the answer is often, I would let Hitler into art school. Because of like this idea that like, you know, there's one theory that him not getting into art school and there being Jews on the Jewish people on the judging panel and things like that, that that sort of he would have gone in a whole other direction. I have trouble thinking that I have trouble thinking that just like one decision like that could change someone so fundamentally. And obviously that is like the definition of the extreme case. But I think that would have been a great question to explore if we'd really had so much more time with the Loki variants, you know, to explore what happens if you have basically the same character, but the gender is flipped, you know, and that uh, flips a binary term, but, you know, but a different gender. That would have been so interesting to explore. Um, to, it, it, it's funny, cause it, it just kind of, it, it, it's a frustration almost, because I think there could be so much great stuff to explore of, you know, what makes one of these Lokis want to be the presidential person and what makes one of them the, you know, the, the one who did kill Thor, the one who does betray, like, to me, I think you're really touching on something that could have been a phenomenal thing to explore, and maybe they will explore it in a in later season. I'd certainly be open to it if they did. I, I mean, I think, like, maybe Hitler could have just been an anti-Semitic Semitic artist instead Possibly. of, like, a dictator. You know, Possibly. like Like, people might not change in their fundamental character, but they might change in terms of the power and influence they, they wield in the world. Yeah. Like, with a few things, like, say, if CNN hadn't excessively covered donald trump in 2015 maybe he never become probably he never becomes president you know right. but like you know th that's in terms of like what makes someone who they are like that i mean that's identity right mm -hmm. but there's a lot of different ways of looking at identity personally i feel like i look at it differently than most people do or most people the way people discuss it these days but i respect that other people look at it the way they do you know mm -hmm. and um i think it's really up to someone what they think makes them who they are and i feel like with loki and sylvie like they kept calling sylvie a loki or whatever what does that mean yeah. like i mean first of all there should be all totally just different people in different timelines right like you're not necessarily going to get the number of timelines there would be is so like it makes that 14 million number from infinity war so right. infuriating like how few 14 million variations of time would really be you know in the in the scheme of things but like just narrowing down on say loki and sylvie and you know anyone else who's a loki like what makes them the same person or not the same person like sylvie clearly in my view does not consider herself a loki right right she considers herself sylvie and what does that mean? And we ne we really never got a satisfying answer to that. And maybe they're like holding out for season two or something. That's kind of my guess yeah. is, you know, like a lot of the variant stuff was played for laughs, right? Like in episode four or five, really, mm -hmm. where they have all these different Lokis and like, you know, they're not all human. And, you know, it. but that to me kind of sort of, cheapens the idea of like they didn't really dig into they're like oh what's your nexus event it's like i don't care about a nexus event i care about like who are you and what makes you you and why do you think that makes you the same as this other person or different or you know i don't know i i think it's 
a potentially interesting question that I do not feel was really explored in an interesting way. In a satisfying way, anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think for me, especially where that comes up with Sylvie, is that, you know, it's funny, ever since the, the kiss, there are all these things popping up about, oh my god, it's the total narcissism, you're kissing yourself. I never really bought that they were the same person. Yeah. I, mean, I felt like they had a lot of the same perspectives on things, a lot of the same... To me, it more felt like, yeah, if you give two people the same childhood trauma, they're going to have a lot of the same triggers and a lot of the same responses, but they're probably not going to be exactly the same. And especially because they did have fundamentally different childhoods. You know, they, mm -hmm. they felt to me like two different people who maybe, I don't know if they shared like genetic makeup, but, but you know, she had a different chromosome for gender or, I don't know. Uh, it, it it just left me very unsatisfied because yeah I think that there was there's there's so much you could have gone with it but even more like it, I never really bought them as anything other than two separate characters. I, I would tack on to that. All the other Loki variants also don't feel like Loki. They feel right. like different characters who are called Loki. Some of whom are played by Tom Hiddleston and some aren't. Right. And there's nothing that seems like quintessentially Loki about them. And so I think it's easy to see, like, Loki and Sylvie and be like, oh, maybe I see them differently because I see one as male and I see one as female. But it's like, it's not that. It's that they're two different people that we're not, that share things in common, right? right. But there's a lot of people who share things in common. And I don't know. No, I don't, I don't disagree. And I also, I think it's interesting that the the way that they define the consistency that, you know, this is the story. This is the way it's going to be. Um, the interesting thing to me, especially, is that we do touch on multiverse theory a, a little bit in that, you know, they weren't all pruned at birth. None, none of right. them were. They were all, you know, Kid Loki is the youngest one, and he's, what, 8, 10, 12? So clearly, until they made whatever their Nexus event decision was, they were meant to live out their lives. So clearly, there is not just one sacred timeline. There are many variations of this one story, this one person, meaning that they're different people. So I think that that's a very interesting part of it as well, is that they are, that they are they're different people. And even if they're going through you know if yeah if you if you put enough people through the same experience you're going to get some you know people with enough similar traits some people are going to react similarly if they have you know the same opinion on some things and then absolutely we have loki and sylvie being different people going through similar situations and making the same decision and people being like oh well that makes them the same no right. if someone throws a big scary fire at you you're gonna try and stop it because you don't want there to be big, scary fire. That's not you being the same person. That's you having a mo like, you know, the motive of, I don't want to die. Like, oh, right. well, if we work together, we can defeat this thing. Well, gee, we should work together. <laughs> that is not a difficult... Yeah. It's not rocket surgery. And to me, I think it's so important as well, because it's where I think the narcissism point, I totally lose. Because to me, what Loki fell for in her, which... I have a lot of strong feelings about, which will be our next topic. It wasn't, it didn't seem because she was often doing things differently than he was. And he mm -hmm. loved that. And he was like, that's so interesting. Like I could be more like you or, or you make me want to be like less like you in some, in some instances, but none of it was about falling in love with himself in that regard. I think the other interesting thing is that 
I think the fact that Sylvie isn't Loki was very much emphasized when uh when they are in, you know, the void of everything and they and, you know, Loki's like, Oh my gosh, you guys, you know, there's there's a female version of us way way on Marvel to put a gender fluid character in and, and tout that right up until they the binary was beneficial, first of all. But second of all, to basically feature the fact that she is completely different than any and all of them. Again, that still not being her Nexus event. But I think it absolutely um I think it, it like it absolutely was just one more thing that means they were different characters. They were different people. Right. Um and I think that he recognized that. I think that part of it was, you know, our Loki, quote unquote, recognizing that she was completely different from him. Uh I do think that Marvel absolutely kind of going back to the gender fluid thing. I do think that Marvel absolutely dropped the ball on that. Um, I, to be fair and all of their queer representation, I think that they very much dropped the ball on in terms of, you know, they, they did just enough to get cookies, Mm -hmm. but I think that it like, I think that especially with a gender fluid character in particular and with the concept of variance, I think that you could have done so much with that. I think that they had a really interesting opportunity. They had something that was very... They set themselves up to succeed and then failed. Um, because I didn't have confidence in Marvel going forward with it. But I absolutely did have to... Like, you have to recognize that that was a really cool idea. Um, I almost hope like i i said on uh in another conversation with someone that i hope to see loki do some sort of you know transformation we've seen him transform into other people and other you know forms obviously we know that's a trait of his both from norse mythology and you know mcu canon and i was like yeah okay so have him shift into a stereotypical like quote-unquote woman mm-hmm. have him shift into sylvie if you must right. it was kind of right in front of them and they they put a lot of information into the first four episodes and then by the time they slowed down the couple of things that they had set up that would have really mattered to a lot of people unsurprisingly they didn't care yeah to me it is the worst example of honestly it's one of the things that makes me the most mad about the show as well as the other part of queer representation that we'll get to in a second but there's an degree to which the character of Loki from both comics and from Norse mythology, there's a lot there that there's probably, you know, I didn't expect Disney to be all over covering. You know, I didn't expect to see Loki giving birth to the horse that he'd had sex with. Like, or that, you know, the, the horse that resulted right, from Loki as a female horse having sex with another horse. You know, however the story goes. I didn't think we were going to get that. Frankly, I didn't think we were going to get any of Loki's gender or sexuality fluidness. But then they told us that we were. Uh, there was a quick little moment where Loki, like, it listed the gender as gender fluid. And then the writers, I, I don't remember the exact detail. It's, it's probably possible that this got made into more than it was was meant to be. But to me, it's something you need to be so careful about. The, the, the impression certainly got from the things the writer said was that they really were going to dive into exploring Loki as a gender fluid character. And to me, to set that up and to tell audiences that have been so hungry for representation that yes you're going to get to see yourself on screen in a way 
and then not deliver. And as you said, kind of to, to, to miss all the low-hanging fruit that could have been gotten so easily, it, it, it's an outrage to me. It is just is so... It makes me so angry I don't have words. Uh, but it, it just feels like it's one thing to be cowards and not want to tell that story, but then don't make people think you're going to tell that story. You know, don't put gender fluid on the, the bio of, because that was the bio of this particular variant of mm-hmm. Loki. It wasn't saying that like all of Loki's throughout all of time are gender fluid because it, I don't know, maybe all of the people who are Matthew Fox, you know, maybe there's a version of me in some variant time universe in which the, the genetics were a little bit different or whatever. Uh, I'm being very clear. I'm not meaning to say that genetics are tied to gender in the slightest, but certainly the show seems to think that they are. You know, we don't have any indication of Loki chose to have a male presentation or Sylvie chose to have a female presentation. Like, none of that. There was so much they could have explored there. Uh, So, yeah, to me, that was just... I'm really glad you explained it that way because, you know, it's not the only thing to talk about, but just from an ethics perspective especially, like, I think Marvel really dropped the ball here. I think that actually you just referenced another opportunity that they had, which would have been if Sylvie's Nexus event had been that she decided to present as a woman. Yeah. That was absolutely a potential. That was something they could have done. You could have shown it very quickly with, you know, again, abilities that we've seen Loki having. It would have been a minimal effort insertion into the story. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why I made the comment about maybe Loki being Sylvie's dead name, because I kind of like that idea that yeah. that 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 that's exactly what happened with with Sylvie. But we didn't get it. I kind of expected that's where they were going to go after all of the talk of mm-hmm. having, you know, exploring that and, and having that kind of representation. And it felt more like it really was a lot more talk. Right. Than like they said these things, right? Yeah. But they didn't really show them. And yeah, I think that being Sylvie's Nexus event, like I mean, whatever like whatever thoughts I have about Nexus events and the ridiculousness of that, like I think that would have been interesting and also maybe powerful in terms of sort of I don't know, like as a metaphor, how like maybe people, you know, yeah. in the in the world don't don't deal with that very well. What you know, when um they they find out what, what someone's gender is and they had a preconception and i think like clearly they have that power right the the lokis Mm -hmm. or the sylvies and the and i mean we've seen loki be sif before right or take the form uh, of captain america as well yeah and captain exactly um and so clearly you know that person whatever you want to call them can easily physically take the form that they feel best represents themselves and that's like that seems like a great way to be able to to put that there without um without having some of the complexities maybe that you'd have in the real you know in something that's more that more represents people's actual real world experiences right it's like almost like an easier way to do it in terms of um portraying it in in fiction and and it, it does feel like they were just very cowardly it feels very disney yeah. Right in terms of to me, like being like, oh, we're gonna uh, that was enough, right? Yeah, you're good. Like you know, which I mean, I think you're gonna get into the you know the question of Loki being bi or pansexual, and like they said that they had a line, right? But like, did that feel like real consequential representation to you? 
No, absolutely not. I think that I 100% agree with you that it wasn't consequential representation, that they they did just enough to get us to associate as queer people with the character and to latch onto that and say, oh, well, he's one of us, so we love him extra and we will give you all our money. Like, thank you, Daddy <laughs> Disney. But it wasn't enough. And I think that that's something that we absolutely... we As we go forward to tell queer stories that I, I think consequential queer stories. I think that's a very, you know, I like I like that phrasing a lot to tell queer stories, not just, you know, whatever kinds of stories they are that you can't take out the one line and make it palatable for people who don't want them to be queer, yeah. that people are queer in their whole lives, you know, I, I wake up and I'm queer and I go to work and I'm queer and I, you know, go to lunch and I'm queer and I come home and I'm still queer. And that is a part of my life. And it should be the same in the shows that it does. It's not every pervasive moment, you know, but at the same time, it is an unremovable part. It needs to be an unremovable part of the story. Yeah. It, it did really strike me that, you know, if you want to make a version of this to show in you know, to areas that don't want to see that, you can just cut those 15 seconds and nothing about the rest of the story will change. Yeah. Uh, like five seconds. Even. Yeah, really. And it, it's funny because, um, you know, Paul and I recently did an episode on uh, animated stuff, which will actually air after this one. Mm. We didn't really go into Mitchell's versus the Machines, which is one of my favorite new movies. But I'll say that movie does a, the exact opposite. You know, mm -hmm. the queerness of a character is a very small thing, but literally every scene she's on screen She's wearing a rainbow pin, you know, and it's just it's such a to me that felt like a very deliberate like you can't cut this out. This is just who the character is. I, I do also want to kind of go a little deeper here, especially because for some folks who haven't really thought about this much. I have heard from a lot of folks the idea of like, well, like bisexual people or pansexual, they never use a label. Um, you know, do you love people of, of both or all genders or, or very many different genders? So Loki falling for a person presenting as a woman should be fine, right? Fox, why? Why was this not a good example of, of bi or queer representation? I think that in part because, to me at least in particular, I felt like, so I have, certainly if, if it had been like, first of all, that entire subplot didn't really feel organic to me. Mm -hmm. And I think a part of that was especially that kind of leading up to this, you had had a lot of emotional emphasis on Loki and Mobius's relationship. And if you'll notice in the story, the moment they establish that Loki is attracted to men at all, the distance between Mobius and Loki as characters grows. Yeah. And you get the one moment of them hugging each other goodbye and that's it. Other than that, they have very limited actual interaction and actual moments of emotional closeness. And again, if that had been just the relationship as a whole, it would have been one thing. But it was that immediately following the possibility of Loki being attracted to not just this man, a man at all. They wanted to make it very clear that that's not what this was. We didn't do that. This wasn't gay. And I didn't need to be no homoed. Yeah. In my TV shows just as much as I am in my real life. It's okay. <laughs> I would like even 
I would have been, you know, I would have been agreeable to a, a Mobius and Loki romance or relationship. I, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily sitting there with a deep need for it, but at the same time for them to, for them to so aggressively, like I said, no homo it, yeah. it made me uncomfortable almost in that way as a, like as a queer person who is attracted to multiple genders, literally in that way of someone saying like, oh, like it's that, oh, you like girls, you better not flirt with me. It was that feeling. It was that experiential disgust of, oh, well, you're attracted to people like me, so obviously you're attracted to me. And it felt, it felt like queerness written by straight people. It felt like non-consequential queerness written by people who didn't know what they're talking about and didn't know what would be actually impactful for people who would relate to this character. And then following that, that sour, going into the the consideration of the Sylvie Loki situation with such a sour undertone, even if it had been what, I don't believe it was very, I didn't like it very much and I didn't think it was super well written, but at the same time, even if it had been beautifully written, I still would have viewed it with a sourness mm -hmm. because of that experience. If, I guess I have two questions. One, if it had been both, like if there had been some clear um, like romantic interest between Loki and Mobius for a bit, and then there was between Loki and Sylvie, would that have played differently? I think for me, it very much would have, because this kind of building on what, what Fox was saying about the no homo, there is no need in the plot for Loki and Sylvie to have romantic feelings for each other. Yeah, yeah. The love they have could be a sibling love and then could mm -hmm. cause really interesting questions for Loki about why that didn't happen with Thor. That there could be, I know in some versions of the story, there's a parental dynamic one way or the other. It could be just pure narcissism of like, you're a version yeah. of myself that I get to love. Sure. And also to remember, like, we haven't seen Loki be a playboy. This is literally yeah. the first time that Loki has ever expressed romantic interest in anyone. And for it to come so quickly right at Loki declares that he's bi or that he's you know Loki says that like princes and princesses that you know yeah. both or all have happened and then to go so strong into this romance that was not needed at all it really felt like the show was saying no no he likes girls still don't don't forget he likes women he really really does we promise look they're even kissing won't even have subtext 100% subtext 100% full text it really felt like they were saying Yes, we like checked off the queer box, but don't worry, straight people, you still can love this show. We're not going to... Right. And to me, here's the thing. Yes, that's always what Disney has done until Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they checked off the racism box. Hmm. Then the next episode, they checked off a couple more boxes. And then they checked off more. They, you know, they just threw it on the table. Even Steve Rogers can be subject to white privilege and can miss things, you know, and be part of white supremacy in that way. They went so deep and so hard on racism and didn't care who they angered. Yeah. That for them to then be so cowardly about this show, it just, mm. it, 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 I think that's, that was for me, and maybe I put too much on a Falcon, it, it was one more part of the false hope for me. Um, but that's my take. What about Fox for you? Would that have changed it for you? I, so, two things that I want to respond to Paul I want to respond to yours as well as I want to respond to what you said Matthew so Paul I I think so 
But again, honestly, it was so much. It, Matthew made the point already, kind of for me, where it was. It was that they, they went. Even if they had maintained the relationship platonically between Mobius and Loki at the same intensity as they had, and mm-hmm. even if they hadn't gone romantic on it, yeah. I think I would have been more okay with it. I think it was the the almost rejection that they went that the mm. that the the final hug was really the only thing that we got. Yeah. And I, I feel like that and it, it also then because then it continued to me with regardless of regardless of the Sylvie relationship, regardless of him being attracted to and interested in a woman, it also then kind of implied that men who are attracted to men cannot ha- it, that that gross like you can't have friendships with the people you're attracted to. You can't right. have deep emotional connections with people. They had such an opportunity as back when we were speaking on um kind of when I said that the show taking away the consequences of time and your actions, what it did was provide a character study. And I think that if we had just continued to explore emotional connection, mm-hmm. I would have been more satisfied with that kind of story. Right. Um, and then Matthew with bringing up Falcon and the winter soldier addressing racism in a very well-written way. And it was obviously a fantastic, you know, a fantastic show. But I and I think the unfortunate thing for me is that we got that kind of unexpectedly. We they didn't they didn't initially say this is the show addressing the racism behind right. the Captain America story and then give it to us. That is that we found out that that was going to be the experience in watching it. And again, it was beautifully done. But this felt worse because mm-hmm. not only did they not address it well. But they told us they were going to. So instead of, you know, having this experience and saying, well, we don't care. In addition to the fact that they have shown that they're willing to anger people to make an emotionally valuable point. They didn't do that here and then said they would. That they hung a carrot on a stick and said, look, doesn't it look good? Isn't queer representation so important? Oopsie. Guess you don't get that. And I don't so like, like being teased. Give me yeah. my fucking carrot. <laughs> so it's like they underpromised and overdelivered in in Winter Soldier and and Falcon and Captain America, and um, overpromised and underdelivered in Loki. Yeah, basically. I, I think it's a really good way of putting it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just saying what you said. Yeah. <laughs> trying to make it sound It was sound nice snappy. clean phrasing. Thank you yeah, for writing you the thesis of my paper, Paul. I'm a copy it. editor at heart. So. There you go. Well, we could go so deep on this. And I will say a lot of other great queer creators uh, on TikTok, on, on articles and stuff like that, have really been writing great things about why this show was such a disappointment, really such a betrayal. And I, I really recommend people check some of those out. Um, but let's go into one of the main areas that Sylvie and Loki disagree on. Do you kill Schrodinger's Kang? Uh, team Sylvie or Team Loki? What are we on? Oh, Sylvie all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Why for you do, you do you kill Kang? I mean, because he's an autocrat who genocides entire, you know, universes. Like, I just think if you have the opportunity to kill a dictator who is massacring people, like, you just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can, like, take away their bending, then I prefer that, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> we're not all an avatar. And, like, that line where where Kang or Immortus or um, He Who Remains is like, we're all villains here. I'm like, 
But are you all villains? Like, is Sylvie really a villain? I you feel know? like there's a scale of villainy, buddy, and you're probably the top of it. Yeah. You're like, at the, the top. Like, the genocide is pretty bad. Yeah. Loki's not that far behind having tried to genocide all the frost giants. And, you know, like, behind. I mean, not universes, but, like, worlds. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Sylvie is, like, she's killed some people who have stolen her as a child and repeatedly tried to murder her and erase her existence. Like, that's just not villainy. That's survival. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Sylvie I, I, killed a couple of cops and then the cop called her a bad guy. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm pretty happy with Sylvie in kind of, like, anti-hero, like, gray villain space. Um, and to me, I don't see how there's any question. You know, and, and to me, the yeah. fundamental thing that comes to because... The response is always, but what about the chaos? What about all the things that will happen? You know, the dictator is holding on to order, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are going to suffer in chaos. And frankly, I this feels like it's a question that's incredibly relevant both for our own world and that is popping up again and again in our fiction. And I don't think that's coincidental. And oh, totally. it certainly seems like, you know, we've talked a lot about this on the Star Wars podcasts about, you know, the... In the Star Wars world, people seem to like the Empire, some of them, because, you know, to quote the Mussolini line, Mussolini line, like, they make the trains run on time. And right. I think there's a really interesting statement there about the fact that people crave order, they crave stability, and they're often willing to give up huge amounts of their freedom to get it. And to me, it's the choice that makes is most important. You know, if a whole bunch of people in a very chaotic setting say, listen, we voluntarily want to elect a autocrat of some kind to take control and to bring order. I'm going to vote against them, but at least I understand, like, there's a choice that's happening there. I'm not comparing that to current situations because I don't think actual democracies happen. Anyway, I'm thinking there very much hypothetically. (laughs) But my point being that for for me, Kang, like, that I think is very bad. My point is just that Kang to me is fundamentally worse because Kang just decides for other people. There is... And here we're now talking about the agency as in the world itself. What Kang does literally is just to deny everyone else any agency whatsoever. And I don't think it matters how bad the multiverse is. I don't think it matters how chaotic that's going to be. For any person to have that power and to decide, I know what's best for everyone else, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going to genocide trillions of people to do it. But even putting that part aside, just the like that level of control you have to kill that person or you have to stop that person if you can without killing them. But like, to me, that's, it's kind of a no brainer. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that the interesting thing is that the other option, Loki's option is essentially to listen to this guy who says like, yes, I've had all this power forever and ever. And Mm -hmm. it's been really great guys. I've decided I don't want power forever and ever. I'm going to go take a nap. And, (laughs) And I am prone naps all the way. Naps are the best. But it, like, yes, I every nap I denied myself as a child, I will regret for the rest of my days. But at the same time, I think it's very interesting that you listen to this all-powerful person being like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to hand it all in. You guys can deal with it. And I think Marvel has done this before with Thanos as well, where it's like, I am going to achieve ultimate power. And that's it. That's all I want then I'm done. Mm -hmm. And it's this, like, Mm -hmm. the bold implication that anyone who is power-hungry enough to get to that level can be satisfied. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, ah, yes. You know how people don't work at all. So it's one of those things that I'm like, like, even if we had seen Loki win in that argument and we had seen Kang go free, all of us would have sat there and gone, season two, guess who's coming back? Mm -hmm. Not a single one of us would have believed that that was it. So I think that realistically, just not only narratively, but realistically, Sylvie was right. And that was the only option. Right. There's no Nexus event here. <laughs> yeah, I, I find it like this. This series to me really kind of underscored like how much people are willing to accept whatever is told to them by someone presenting themselves as an authority from the very first episode where people are like, oh, the sacred timeline. That makes sense. It's like, whoa, yeah. you know, and then like, oh, the Time Lords, they're clearly in power. I'm sorry. Did I call them the Time Lords? Are they the Time Keepers? The time I mix keepers. up the DC and Marvel identical characters sometimes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like. One of them wears a fez to make it unique. Right. <laughs> but then like Kang or whoever he is at the end, the you know, who remains. Like, he's just like, oh, this is the thing. And Loki's like, oh, okay, yeah. Loki, who doesn't trust anyone, is like, I think he's telling the truth, you know? <laughs> and, like, we should give it some thought. It's like, kill him and then give it some thought. You, you always stab everybody. Like, just stab him <laughs> and then figure it out, you know? I, I was with you as an ethical statement up to you always stab everybody. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, if you're the guy who always stabs everybody, you don't not stab the guy who's been genociding universes. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Some consistency here. Yeah, you know? I, I think that's, well, I have a lot of thoughts on the consistency <laughs> no. of Loki, because I think there's none okay. whatsoever. In a yeah, television yeah, yeah, show about how nothing matters and there are no consequences to your actions, <laughs> have, some con have some consistency in your actions, damn right. it. Exactly. You know, like, I don't understand the metaphysics they set up at all, but I'm pretty sure that even by their own, like, very flimsy rules, mm -hmm. the idea that he crosses a time threshold and all of a sudden, oh, it made no sense. Don't, it was so don't dumb. Don't get me started on that one. I, okay, so, I, like, we we have to all just mutually agree that that has to be a separate episode of itself because yeah, we, can't do, we can't, we can't yeah. open that can of worms. That's the whole yeah. thing. Let's all just... Put it on the shelf. Let's yep. glare at it for three to six seconds. Okay. Yeah. So I actually wrote in something that's very similar to what we said. I thought I Go would just it. read it. And um, said um, that she had said on the MCU cast, all of this felt very Star Wars to me. Strike me down. Mm. Yada, yada. Um, I don't believe or trust anything Immortus said, though for Loki to call him terrifying actually means something. Do I think they should have talked it out a bit? Yes. Would that have been historically Loki of her? I guess of Sylvie? Yes. Do I think that was exactly what Kang wanted her to do? Yes. The two of them being the correct people to run time just makes no sense to me. And uh, going through all of this just to end up back at the same point seems way too easy. Either way, I cannot see uh, where we are. Oh, either way, I cannot wait to see where we are going with all this. So that's back to the um, original thing. Wait, somewhere she said that I think they should kill him, right? Yeah, I think she was pro, pro, yeah. pro, pro death. I feel like Kate Kang. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that's that's what uh, mm -hmm. you know um, was in there, but I don't see it now. Yeah. So I don't know. The well, interesting thing, the timekeepers the have changed it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> The interesting thing to me as well is that I think with, for me, the only thing that I got out of like there being romantic anything 
uh, between Sylvie and Loki is that I do think that kind of with the like, there's no reason they should run time. I genuinely, in my opinion, when I was viewing that, I took that as him just trying to get someone on his side. I right, literally right. just took that as, well, the two of you can be together forever. <laughs> and then it was supposed to hurt a little extra that Sylvie didn't want that. And I think we right. saw that a little bit. A little bit. But again, I wasn't I wasn't emotionally invested enough in their relationship. So yeah. when she betrayed him, I was like, I yeah. Right. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I we made sort of a comment about the, the, the believability for me. I, if we had more time, I'd want to dive a lot deeper into the character of Loki because it's to me like it's the other reason why the, the Sylvie story felt so forced is I just didn't buy it for the slightest in the slightest. Like it, it didn't make any sense to me that he would make that dramatic a turn. Uh, mm. And maybe we have time we can get into that. But 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 kind of just putting a pin in that. Um, one thing else we want to talk, we've talked about like Loki and different genders and things like that. Uh, I wish we could also talk about like different race gender uh, Loki, but that was completely unmentioned. Mm-hmm. But we'd also get Loki, like, outside of Homo sapiens sapien. Like, Loki as a non-human. Uh, Paul, as someone who has uh, strong feelings about <laughs> animal representation and things. How'd you feel about Loki as an alligator? Like, I liked the idea that that was a thing. But I'd I say I'd say I feel kind of similarly to what, you know, you've both been saying about queer representation. Where it's like, they were like, oh, see? Loki, like, an alligator can be an important character in the world. And then, like... He's basically just hanging out and gets thrown at someone. Like, can an alligator go attack someone on their own? Like, do they need someone to throw them? Does he need to do get help? Like, and they weren't even doing get help, really, you know? And, like, people have made jokes about that and, like, how they kind of enjoy that. And there's a lot of jokes about it. But it's, like, it feels to me like, like, sort of, I don't know. I like characters with non-human. I I like fiction with non-human characters. Yeah. who are people, you know, who have personalities and are characters that matter. And I did not feel like Alligator Loki was a character who mattered. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, Black Loki wasn't, like, he was there, but, like, that was just kind of, they're like, yeah, why not? We'll just do this. Right. And it felt to me like they are kind of hand-wavy sort of representing, like, oh, yeah, you don't have to be human to matter. Um, and for the whole time, I was like, why are all of these people so human? In, right. like, the TVA. Oh, yeah. It makes sense once you understand that, you know, it's Kang, and Kang, I guess, is human from the 31st century, it seems, right? right? So now I'm like, okay, so the bo- the sort of pro-human bias in the TVA actually makes sense within the story, and so I'm like, okay with that. But until then, I was sort of like, this is odd. Um, but, yeah, that just felt like something that was potentially interesting, but then was very disappointing. Yeah. You know what it had the energy of, to me, is when, like... And this is kind of like people do this as a joke, but when it's like, like, oh, if we were frogs, would you sit on a lily pad together with me? Like, it's that sort <laughs> of like, it's it's cutesy as a concept, but there's no there's nothing behind it. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. There was no like, there's no actual value to it. It's you know, that is to pose the conversation of if we were in a different situation, would we still have connection? Alligator Loki was a joke twice, and that it was funny i guess yeah and and i think it's important to know like i'm not a comic book fan i don't think any of us are like hardcore uh comics readers a lot of these things were easter eggs for the comic book fans Mm -hmm. it felt like this show had a lot more of those and yeah especially with kang but also some of the alligator loki stuff a lot of the other shows i felt like did a very good job 
of having an Easter egg, but that if you didn't get the Easter egg, you still didn't miss anything. This show felt like it kind of crossed the line in that regard. And I felt like the alligator thing, especially, especially because for me, I don't know much about Loki from uh, the comic books. I do know something about Norse mythology. Yeah. And in Norse mythology, a god having their hand bitten off by an animal is a very mm. important story. Tyr having yeah. their hand bitten off by the wolf, Fenris. And and so I was kind of like, wait, is this a reference to that? Is it? No, it just seemed like it was just like, yeah, let's have President Loki have his hand bit off. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I, I was curious, Paul, where you're going when you said you wanted to bring that up. But I think it's a really good point. Of, oh. like, if, if you're going to explore that Loki could be a non-human and what would that mean explore that you know like it, it just it felt like so much of the show was let's just check all these boxes and kind of dip our toe into all these different pools many of which would be fascinating ethical questions but never really commit to actually like the consequences of any of those possible stories yeah i feel that for sure i will say that we are recording this podcast on tears day oh yeah that's right? true so that's true. good point this is actually um, I guess appropriate. I don't know. But yeah, it, it, it did feel like it was kind of like, oh, how about this? How about this? How about this? Like, but we don't really want to deliver on things yeah. that much. And even to that extent, I, which I think is one of the, the later points that maybe we were going to get to is like, it felt like the end of this show was very much just to like set up what was going to come next, right. you know, as opposed to really having a satisfying conclusion to a, a singular coherent story. Absolutely. I think that's the one thing that um, I think that's the one thing that is my major complaint between obviously Marvel having released these three television series between as kind of the, the gap, the transfer between their sets of movies. And as we go into the next phase, it really did feel like they did, you know, WandaVision was much more like a concept exploration and, you know, about the exploration of grief. And that was very interesting the way it was. Um Falcon and the Winter Soldier being more of an actual story. And then I, I did truly expect Loki to be a character study and to a degree it delivered in that it was a character study more than it was an actual show, but they didn't give it a story. Mm -hmm. Nothing happened. And anything that happened absolutely could have been bundled in. It, it will be, I, I imagine it will be touched on in the first, you know, max 15 minutes of multiverse of madness and that will have been all that needed to happen because yeah. they're not going to expect that everyone went and saw the show. And frankly, I don't know that people who come back, if people watch Multiverse of Madness and then go back and watch the show, I don't imagine they'll gain much. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down mm -hmm. to is of the three shows, this one felt the least consequential, both in, you know, it's, it's in story stakes, but also just overall, I was like, nothing happened. There's no... We, we've set up things to come. That's great. But nothing happened. We didn't get any resolution for, you know, they, they posed a situation, played around in the sandbox, and then it rained. So we covered the sandbox, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's perfectly put. And this is what I kind of call Ultronitis. You know, to me, the major, yeah. well, one of major sins of uh, Avengers 2 Age of Ultron, although there were some good parts, was the, it felt like they just hit pause on the movie to set up a number of the next round of like Thor movie, Captain America movie, etc. And let's contrast it, for example, like uh, in uh, in WandaVision, Monica Rambeau has a fantastic arc. 
her, we get kind of an origin story for her. We get uh, to see her make major decisions. We get to see her have major uh, crisis, uh, like issues she goes through. And at the end of the story, we get a very clear connection for her into the thing that she's ne- next to be into, probably Secret Wars or, or something like that. Um, uh, is it Secret Wars? Uh, whatever. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Secret Invasion. I thought she was going to be in the Marvel. Secret Invasion. Yeah, maybe that. But clearly, like, we, we get a set. She's going up to space. You know, she's right. she's going to do that. She can do something with the scrolls, etc. This just felt, like, so tacked on. Um, and, like, it just was, it just really weakened it all. Quick interruption. Uh, we are now at... Uh, I have to go, guys. Okay, sounds good. I okay. gotta go. Okay, uh, so let me just do this. Yep. So, uh, Paul, there's one more topic you and I are going to get into, but Fox, I know you need to run. Thank you so much for being a great guest. For people who are really excited about hearing more of your thoughts or seeing more of your stuff, uh, what, what should they be checking out? Uh, pretty much all social media, y'all. I am VoidFox21 on everything. Come say hi on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I jump on TikTok upon the occasion. And... I talk about D&D, cosplay, general nerd nonsense. So absolutely, come spend some time with me. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. It's been, and Paul, it's wonder, it was wonderful to meet you and have an awesome conversation with you. And I will hopefully catch both of you around later. Likewise. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, the phrase, thank you, Daddy Disney, will live forever in superhero <laughs> forever. That is my legacy. <laughs> there you go. That there is, go. That's all I'm here for. I have delivered and I'm satisfied. Awesome. Uh, so, Paul, let's kind of do the last thing was, obviously, to some extent, this is meant to be Loki's redemption story. And mm-hmm. we get, uh, you know, Loki has this beautiful moment with Sylvie where he just uh, is, is about Sylvie, but where he just says, like, you know, I no longer care about all the things I used to care about. I just care about you and, like, making sure you're okay. What did you think of, of Loki's character arc? Uh, I felt like it felt weird to me mm-hmm. because I felt for a lot of the show, I felt like we were watching Ragnarok Loki. Yeah. And yet this Loki did not experience all those things. Yes. This Loki watched the tape of those experiences, but like how much is that like living those moments? Mm-hmm. I would guess not very much exactly like them you know so i felt like this loki kind of evolved rapid fire the way you can kind of expect to happen in stories but if there were like a montage of things and there was a lot that happened that we didn't see i feel like i would have bought that more you know i i think this loki kind of becoming like good guy loki is a little bit like "Mm, i don't know like i'm not really sold on it and I also feel like, uh, like I feel like they didn't put the work in there, and part of it was because they'd already done the work through multiple films, mm-hmm. so it felt like it would just be kind of redundant, and that's one of the problems with kind of resetting a character earlier in their timeline. And so yeah, I just felt like I didn't quite buy it. And um, at, at the end, then I think Loki makes a bad decision in terms of you know not st- stabbing the autocrat. Right. Um, but I mean, I enjoyed spending time, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but it, it, it didn't, in terms of the substance, there was development, but it felt like the development was more, it was interesting, but I didn't feel like it took me from point A to point K. Yeah. I I think that's a really good way to put it. And especially because we did see all the growth, but, but I mean, even... 
even post-Ragnarok Loki, I don't feel was even as far along as this Loki wound up, you know, in terms of the... Right. Like, he makes the sacrifice somewhat... Well, not even a sacrifice, but, like, he decides... To, he risks his life and loses his life because of his, like, desire to help protect Thor and the Asgardians and himself, to be honest. Like, he probably doesn't right. believe Thanos is going to keep him alive. Um... And to me, like, even then, he still feels like kind of, he's still, he's the trickster who's learned to do some good things, but he's still the trickster, you know? To me, right. this is, uh, uh, for Star-, Star Wars fans, he's gone from being Cad Bane to becoming Hondo, you know? Hondo's okay. a good guy, okay. That's huh? but he's still a scoundrel. And, like, to me, Loki yeah, yeah, should yeah. still be a scoundrel. Yeah. Whereas now, he just becomes, like, generic hero number six who will do the things for the people he cares about. Mm-hmm. I think for me also the part of it that really lost me and it's too bad because this should have been such an epic moment is one of the Lokis who we didn't see have any real growth was classic Loki old man mm. Loki we, we saw him be like you know somewhat more uh, reflective than some of the others and like yes he's kind of like I want this all to end but his act of self-sacrifice at the end of like getting the attention of the smoke monster to to help them out I felt like I needed a little bit more there, you know? I, I Maybe more of, like, him having a, like, look, I want to die anyway, so this is a way to die with glorious purpose. And he does shout out glorious purpose. But it, it, it just felt out, it, it just felt like one more way that um, they just really never... They told us they didn't show us. This, felt, this show felt a lot of, especially on the ethical questions, like, it's, it's tell but not show. Yeah, uh, I don't feel quite the same in terms of classic Loki, Mm -hmm. because I feel like when classic Loki is introduced to us, uh, that's sort of what I get out of that character. I feel like that character's already kind of in that spot. Mm -hmm. They're maybe not with a lot of hope, right? but I do feel like they uh, are, once given that hope by Sylvie and... Uh, you know, 2012 Loki or TVA Loki or whatever. Yeah. I I think that that made sense to me. I, I bought that. That's fair. Um, although it's like, oh, you killed off the old dude. Okay. Yeah. Like that one again, that feels very Star Wars to me. Too. Well, yeah. Um, the black guy is the traitor and the old guy is the, the one who has yeah. to die nobly. Which... Yeah, great. Honestly, if they flipped, I think honestly, yeah, if the black guy. Like had, the other way would be worse. If the black one had to die to save the two white, that would be worse in some ways. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just all bad. It's that's the, the trouble is like once you've told so many stories that have certain problematic aspects, mm-hmm. like those those aspects wouldn't necessarily be so problematic in in isolation. Right. But but once once it's like. You know, once a third Netflix show kills off its old wise black dude, yeah, it's like you're like okay, <laughs> like yeah, we're definitely but we're definitely doing a thing there. Yeah, um, to me, the one thing that could have saved it is because I think I never really thought about this until you you were talking about it. We have variants all over the place. We have Lokis running around talking to other Lokis. Mm, what yeah. if Loki got to meet post Ragnarok Loki? You know, sure, like yeah. that could have been an interesting way to have. If, if you yeah. basically wanted to have Loki have all the emotional growth that Ragnarok Loki did, you're right, watching some things on a screen, but I think maybe connecting with that other Loki, or even like Sylvie telling him about, you know, yeah, what if Sylvie and Sylvie's timeline had gone through Ragnarok? Well, no, that wouldn't happen because she got pruned way earlier, but time, not, time yeah, is too I hard. Don't to- know. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, one other thing I'll say is shows and movies based on villains are way too often 
set up as those villains being against other bigger villains. And thus they're cast as heroes. And, like, just give me a show where a villain gets to be a villain. And, like, let's do it, you know? Like... Um, uh, that was uh, actually the, the Harley Quinn show, which you recommended. And I, I watched the first season and mostly enjoyed it. I have some thoughts. Mm-hmm. I've always got some thoughts. But, you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, they're robbing rich people. Because, of course, they are. Because we can be like, oh, these assholes on a yacht or whatever. You know, like, right. yeah, Joker and Harley. But then as the show went on, it's like, she did some bad stuff. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Okay, this is more like a show about a villain who's like an anti-villain or an anti-hero or whatever. But, like, she's a villain. And that's fine. And that's cool. And she gets to be a protagonist. It doesn't mean she's, like, all bad. But, you know, um, I I do have a... That actually kind of sets up the, the... the last quote that I think I would bring Let from... me just comment on that first. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Please, yeah, please do. I, I very much agree with you. We talked before about how that was one of my biggest complaints with WandaVision is I think the character of Wanda is in this wonderful gray space of mm. incredibly sympathetic but doing incredible harm and also having yeah. been set up by other people and like, is Wanda a villain? Is she not? Is she somewhere in the gray area? That is a great question. And saying well, Agatha is worse and the cop who shoots at kids are worse. Yeah. Terrible way to answer it, you know? I totally agree. Um, totally agree. What, I feel like Wanda's not a villain. She's a person who's doing harm. Right. And, and to me, that's right. the thing. is like, let's explore yeah. where she is. But but if the way that you want to tell us that she's not that bad is just by giving a bigger bad, like, eh. Yeah. Totally agree. One thing I love that Harley Quinn does so well, I think, is the dynamic between Har- in, the, in the TV show the dynamic between Harley and Ivy. Because Mm, Ivy is, I think, very anti-heroic, but is a hero. In that Ivy will only use her powers to, you know, kill people who are harming the environment. And with her, it's kind of a like, oh, you didn't recycle. You and your whole family are going to die. Like, there's a level of extremity there that we might question. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And that puts her very much into the anti-hero, almost on the line of villain. But the fact that, like, Harley has a similar heart and Harley wants to do good things. But for Harley, it's like, you're poisoning the environment. You have to die. You're rich people who are stealing. You have to die. You stole my parking spot. You have to die. (laughs) And Ivy's every now and then like, let's kind of rate, you know. Yeah. I love how many times Harley kills people who, not out of maliciousness, but just out of like, Mm -hmm. oops. Right, yeah, yeah. She's just homicidal and sociopathic. Basically. And the dynamic between the two of them is so good to explore in terms of villain stuff. So with yeah, that, uh, let's go to uh, the, the Harley Quinn of the Stranded Panda Network. What does Ashley have to say? <laughs> Very good. Nice transition. Um, uh, on redemption. Uh, th- mostly on redemption. Yep. Um, the show had the charm and cheeky demeanor from Loki that we're used to, but it did feel like a different Loki. Mm-hmm. By the end, we do have that version of the caring Loki we had in Ragnarok. Because I feel like we're supposed to see that no matter what. Maybe that's sort of an idea about the identity of Loki. What makes a Loki Loki? Yeah. I don't know. Um, our Loki is not inherently bad. It's just a representation of what a child with a complex grows up to be. And feeling like you've gone too far or made too many mistakes for forgiveness. So you double down on the evil side uh, you think everyone expects from you. The first half had a lot of character building, and I think the second half of the season did a good job showcasing a grand sense of scale of everything that is really going on up in this John. Yeah. What's your take on uh, Ashley's point there? 
Um, yeah, so, like, th- there's a there's a line from Loki, um, no one bad is truly bad and no one good is truly good. And, like, I don't, like, I just think bad and good are subjective terms. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't totally agree with the sentiment, but I, it's somewhat in the spirit of truth. <laughs> like, I would say more, like, everybody does something, some harm. Yeah. And everybody does some things... Most people do things that... Well, everybody does some things that help some people, right? And, you know, people have different levels of compassion and, um, you know, whatever else. But, um, yeah, I, I do feel like we did end up with, you know, that kind of Ragnarok Loki. And, and as you said, even further along. And I, I think that's fair. I think that's like at the very end mm-hmm. where, you know, I think Loki is... He's not trying to protect you know, the genocide, he's basically saying, like, well, is the other thing worse? And, like, maybe, right. but, like, you know, like, you sh- you should kill the guy first. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not usually, like, kill the guy first, but in this case, I'm kind of just like, yeah, like, you know, get down with your bad villain self. I'd be like, just also- end the dictatorship first. Like, you know, end, okay, end fair, that. Fair, and fair. if there's, you know... Yeah, if there's another way of doing it, go but ahead. given that we I'm, actually I'm that. never Always. have any explanation of how he has power over time, like yeah. he doesn't sort of hand Loki and Sylvie the levers of a book and be like, "Here's what you do." Yeah, but you know, yeah. I, I think that's a very good point, and I, uh, I, I actually I think makes a very interesting case here, and I wish Ashley was here to respond to, to you know for us to debate with. Yeah. But honestly, I think if I go back and listen to my discussions with Ashley about Kylo Ren. It's pretty much the same conversation because I think to me Kylo Ren and Loki in their redemption arcs feel very very similar in that right. in both cases I like I agree with Ashley but I think there's a fascinating thing to be said there about like you know is someone just purely evil or is this a person who you know had this incredibly traumatic childhood had all these terrible things happen to them has been like Mobius like kind of talked about you know all the ways in which Loki has been kind of like raised to be this force and I think that would been so, like, what does it mean to be a god of mischief? Like, your job is to screw up and to screw with things. Like, so why do people get mad at you for that? Like, there's so much good stuff to explore there. But with both Kylo Ren and with Loki, I feel like there's a real danger of saying, well, we got to hear their sympathetic, very sympathetic story, so they're not villains. But all these other people are clearly villains. When I often think, I don't know... I don't know if the difference is that Loki and Kylo Ren have a sympathetic story and everyone else does, or just that mm-hmm. Loki and Kylo Ren, we got to hear their story and we didn't get to hear the others. Also, that Loki and Kylo Ren are very nice to look at in a way that not every villain I, is. I thought that's where you were going to go with it. <laughs> I think that's a smaller part, but I do think that's a part of it. Um, yeah. I definitely have heard... That, I remember there was a discussion about this before before the show came out, and... Uh, people were talking about, like, should, you know, Loki become a hero in this? Should he still the villain? And and someone wrote in, no one as pretty as Tom Hiddleston can ever be a true villain. And it got, like, 20 likes. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, you know, yeah. that's a thing out there. I do not co-sign yeah. that. <laughs> um, and I think it's, I mean, that, I don't, there's nothing gendered about that to me. That happens with all characters of sure. all genders and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, I, but he's definitely a thief because he stole my heart. You know, I... I don't know. That's the, the quote. I do think that perhaps the question, the people who question whether Harley Quinn is really a villain and the people who find Harley Quinn incredibly attractive, there's probably a strong Venn diagram there too, you know? Like, sure, sure. Um, she's a much <laughs> beloved character. She's a very much, you know, shipped character. And she's a character, therefore, people want to be able to root for. Yeah. So I think that's about all I kind of wanted to get into. Paul, any kind of last comments you wanted to bring up? 
no, I actually just wanted to mention on one more of the one sentence that Ashley said that I actually really, um, I think I, I was thinking something like this or saying something like this recently, but I liked how she expresses it. The like feeling like you've gone too far or made too many mistakes and like are not either not worthy of forgiveness or not going to be able to earn forgiveness and thus kind of doubling down on the evil side mm-hmm. or on the it's kind of like, you know, going all in on like, well, once people see me this way, I think I was I was making the point with regard to like, you know, supporters of certain political movements or whatever, where it's like, well, I've already gone this far, right. you know, and kind of feeling like there's not a, a way back. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess this Loki, it feels like doesn't have that anymore. Like it, it seems like there was and then, then there wasn't, you know, I feel like I, I just watched a little bit of the end of Thor the first one mm-hmm. and it feels like that's part of sort of what's going on with loki right. you know and i like at the very end where you know thor is like trying to save loki and and um and then he's like trying to tell odin like no like like i could have i could have done this thing that actually uh old school odin was really into like <laughs> yes genociding peoples or conquering them or whatever and then odin's like no loki and it's like no you should you should be like it's okay, Loki. You don't have to do that. I love you, whatever. But he's just like, no, Loki. And Loki's like, all right, I'll just fall into the yeah. abyss then. Um, and he feels like there's no way back. I mean, in some ways, it, it's one more reason why I'm so sad that the Loki-Morpheus relationship kind of got dropped in favor of Loki-Sylvie. Because, yeah. like, everything we're talking about right now is basically a treatise on... is basically an analysis of the whole question of restorative justice versus retributive retributive justice, Mm, you know, in terms of like, because if you tell someone like, yes, you were bad, you're going to be punished because you were so bad. All right. That, that tells someone something. If you tell someone like, look, you caused harm, that's not okay, but we believe you can be better and we want to help you get to a place where you can be better. Like it sounds like such care bear silliness, but there's so much truth. Like, believing in people makes how helps them believe in themselves and yeah yeah now i'm just all the more disappointed because i feel like if that had really been the story of mobius believing in loki which happens you know mobius challenging everyone else who doesn't want to believe in loki that could have been so much more powerful yeah i thought the dynamic between the two of them was very powerful i found it more compelling than the dynamic between sylvie and loki i really enjoyed watching sylvie kick ass and i thought sylvie was an interesting character and if maybe they made sylvie as a character who you know clearly declared her own gender as an expression of herself that could have been super powerful but like instead they decide to go into the loki sylvie you know romantic dynamic and then kind of kick mobius to the curb Mm. and like it just it felt like a show to me that like i wasn't super interested in in the first place but then it did come up with a bunch of things that were potentially very compelling and to me it feels like it was a little bit misbilled and it just it kind of under delivered you know on on a lot of things that could have been very special to a lot of people i think think that's a very good way to put it i think it's a good place to close as well so uh, Paul, you're obviously creating a lot of content on Twitch and YouTube. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, I've got uh, Zen Madman on Twitch. I stream almost every day, usually 10 a.m. Pacific and sometimes like 2 p.m. in the afternoon Pacific. Um, I'm also Zen Madman on Twitter and I have a Zen Madman poker uh, channel. And 
Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start making some other content perhaps sooner or later, but for now, mostly on this podcast and Star Wars Universe podcast, which I recently hosted yes. an entire episode. <laughs> yeah, Paul, uh, Paul stepped up to the plate in a great way. I was on vacation for a couple of days. I did not want to have to figure out getting wired. I was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I did not want to have to figure out finding a place that had strong enough wireless to, to be able to record, let alone shaking the time out of my vacation. And Paul's able to step up. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Check out Paul's um, Twitch and YouTube. They're great. They're both very entertaining. If you want to learn about poker, it's a lot of fun, but also just I, I think it's just fun to watch. Uh, you'll often hear me in there um, trying to ask questions, sometimes trolling, sometimes intentionally trolling. <laughs> um, and I'm also going to sometimes be a guest on Paul's uh, Twitch. Paul's often a guest on mine yeah. as he's kind of mentoring me with poker. And, of course, you can check out all of my uh, podcasts and other creations at theethicalpanda.com. Uh, that's where I do the Star Wars podcast as well as this podcast. And all of these are part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Definitely check those all out, strandedpanda.com. The MCU cast did great analysis of Loki. But yeah, so definitely check out strandedpanda.com as well. They do great content on Loki. If you want to hear people be a little more positive about Loki than we were, although they do get in some critical points as well. Great content there also about Fast and the Furious movies, but anything that geeks are talking about, they're probably covering it there. So thank you everybody so much for being a part of this, and have a great day. Something clever. This way comes... <laughs>